Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who brings us great comfort in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here again a portion of our epistle. It says this, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. So far, our text. The day of the Lord is coming. It's undoubtable. It's true. It's on its way. Christ will return. He will return in glory to be the judge of the heavens and the earth. He will come to gather the faithful who have received his gospel to himself to dwell with him in his Father's kingdom forever. And he will drive out those who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit in rejecting Christ into the eternal darkness where their sins will weigh heavily upon them eternally. For those who have no hope in Christ, the best way of thinking about that coming day, the best coping mechanism for dealing with this, is to pretend that it is not coming. That is how the world thinks about the coming of the Lord. Either through false belief or crass unbelief, people hear the words, Christ is coming soon, and they chuckle to themselves. They think, quaint, what a funny joke. Christ is coming. I'll believe it when I see it. But when they see it, when they see him, it'll be too late. Jesus says that the day of his coming will be like the days of Noah. As he says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be coming the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were all unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. They thought things were okay. They thought life was business as usual. They didn't take much care or concern for what was going on in the world around them, and they took zero care or concern for what Christ had promised them. The day, that day, will be a day of utter destruction for the world, and all those who cling to the world, all those who cherish the world, well, it'll be a day of weeping, mourning, and sadness. St. Peter says as much, he says that the world will burn, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in them will be exposed. So all those who love the world and rejoice in the vanity and the pleasure that the world has to offer, those who saw no hope in life beyond what instant gratification this world can provide, well, they'll weep and mourn at the desolation. Like in Revelation 18, where the kings and the merchants of the world, all those who love the pleasures of Babylon, will fall into utter despair over Babylon the Great. They'll cry out in sadness, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great! And their mourning and their weeping will only pale in comparison to what comes next. Because as the world mourns for itself and the loss of its wealth and pleasure people of God will rejoice. 
as the day of the Lord comes, the day that they had been waiting for in great expectation and hopeful joy, that day has finally come. And the kingdom of God and his people will rejoice in the consummation of all that they've hoped for. Those who have faith in Jesus will not share in the terrible fate and destruction of this world. In 2 Peter, it says, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ash, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly, but if he also rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And so as the day of the Lord comes, as God's judgment upon creation comes, you, dear Christians, be comforted. Because we know that the day of Christ's return will not come to us as a day of terror, but of joy, deliverance, hope, and comfort. While destruction can be terrifying, we know how this story ends. Just as Noah was forewarned and given a way of escape, and Lot was rushed out of the city of Sodom by angels of God, we too will be spared the wrath to come for the sake of Jesus. As the world weeps and has tears of utter sadness, we will weep tears of joy. Sadness will give way to laughter. Broken hearts will be restored. Mourning will turn into dancing. And our vexation and our inward torment, our broken hearts, they will be given way to happiness, righteousness, comfort, and blessing. Yet as we live here and now today, that day has not come. And so we, as the people of God and the Christians of God, must endure until that final day. We must be watchful. We must be ready for the day of the Lord's coming. And that means in the meantime, we must suffer like Lot, with the torment of the soul, as we endure lawlessness, as we endure faithlessness and enmity, that the world has to throw at us. We must be like Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness to whom nobody listened. And yet he was redeemed on the last day. That means that we have to endure the wickedness of the world around us. And to endure the wickedness of this fallen world means that we must be watchful. We must be prepared. We must guard our hearts and our thinking. We live in a world where godlessness is normal. We live in a world where hatred of what God calls good is considered virtuous. Those who trust in God, those are the weird ones. Those who are concerned about sin are those extremists who dwell on the fridges of society. Those who seek to call sinners to repentance are decried as hateful or discriminatory. The, Lord, the world loves to call what is evil good and what is good evil. Motherhood and fatherhood, well, those are burdensome. They're foolishness. While the murder of the unborn is celebrated, 
Biblical marriage is looked at as unimportant and outdated as a social construct, while fornication and perversion are celebrated in the front of small children. Speaking of children, rather than viewing them as the most important treasure that we have and the most beautiful uh, mission field that we have, they're often treated as pawns in the world's schemes to warp our hearts and our minds. They're used as pawns in a political game. Teachers can lose their job for praying with a child, but not for confusing them with irrational gender theory. The love of money, that's the ultimate virtue. Denial of self is seen as foolishness. As we think about what the world values and what the world cherishes or what the world wants to flaunt as good and noble and the way forward in this life, we can see that in these things our souls will die. And this is what's preached by the world. Things that kill the soul. Where are all the hopes of this world rooted in? Where do they find relief, gratification, and pleasure? But in fleeting sensuality, self-satisfaction, greed, worldly possessions, all these things are perishable. It will end on the last day. Yet the devil wants you to be bound to this world. Why? The devil wants you to cherish the pleasures of this world. Why? It's because he is bound to its destruction. And he wants you to be bound to this destruction as well. And so we must be on guard. We must guard our thinking. We must guard our way of life. We must not fall into the world's way of thinking and the way of being. If we have learned anything in the last 40 years of cultural upheaval and revolution, it should be how quickly people's thinking can falter. As those who were once faithful church-going people, not too long ago, are now advocating things that would make a mockery of God's word. That's why St. Paul gives us his warning today, not to fall into dissipation and drunkenness of the world, but to walk into the light of Christ. He says, keep awake, be sober. And sobriety is more than just not abusing substances. Sobriety is ensuring that you have clarity of mind and mastery of self. That you are not constantly deluded by vanity or swept away with the passions of this world. And herein lies the danger because so much of this world seeks to captivate your heart and your mind. To make you distractible. To make you uh, easily manipulated. Right? Why else? Would so much content now be generated for people to sit back and mindlessly consume? Why else would our lives be so consumed with marketing ploys and techniques to capture our constant attention? Why else would people waste their lives watching 15-second video shorts online for 12, 13, 14 hours a day? Why is so much of what we do consumed with achieving the next bit of vain pleasure? Well, it's a tactic that the devil uses today to either numb you or possess your thinking. He wants to captivate you. He wants to manipulate you. He wants to ultimately own you. He wants the world to exploit what you can give to them 
And most of the time, it's your attention, your money, your time. But what often is handed over along with them is your heart and your soul. And so we must be sober. Stay awake. As the world tries to fill you with vanity, to captivate your heart and to warp your mind, Christ has better things to give. As the world would want to control and exploit your short life, Christ provides a life of freedom that does not end. It's not a life that is constantly being swept from one thing to the next, but it is a life that is anchored in truth, beauty, the love of God. That's what Jesus has to give to you. It is the gift of faith in the gospel of Christ. Jesus dies for sinners. Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus opens the kingdom of heaven for those who otherwise have no concept of it. This is what he has done for you. He has given himself to die so that you might have life in him. Not a life that is overwhelmed by the dissipation and drunkenness of this age, but a life that is filled with the fullness of the love of God for man. And this is where St. Paul would have us look. He says that this is the armor for our lives that will preserve us for the day of the Lord. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Faith, love, and salvation are what cover us, shield us, equip us for battle against the forces of evil until the very last day. And so we not, ought not cast off this armor lightly. You should add to it. We should find the chinks in our armor. We should find the weaknesses in our faith. The blind spots in our love. We ought to be watchful for weaknesses in our own defense and be prepared for the attacks of the evil one as they come, because they will, and they do. You are barraged, and you may not know it. So how do we do this? How are we to strengthen ourselves in faith and in love? How are we to cover our heads in salvation? Well, the answer is Jesus. You listen to Jesus. We hear his word. We receive his gifts. We cast off the vain and useless clothing that the world would have us put on, and we put on Christ. He is your armor. He is your defense. He defends us by saving us. And as we look forward to the last day when Jesus will gather us and all of the faithful to himself, do not think that he doesn't already gather, strengthen, clothe, and armor you. He's doing so right now. He gathers the faithful to himself around what he has to give us as his church, as we are deeply entrenched in battle on this earth. Every Sunday, the church gathers around the Word of God. We gather around His holy sacraments. And what is Jesus doing? He's preserving His people. He's guiding us through the attacks of this world. He's comforting those who are afflicted 
with the pain and the evil of sin, as their consciences are burdened, as guilt reigns over them, what does he do? He relieves the burdened conscience. He removes deadly guilt. He says, I forgive you. What could be better? To a sinner who is overcome with the torment of soul, where Christ says, peace be with you. I forgive you. To the heart that's wearied by the world and does not know why, Christ says, I will be your rest. To the one who cannot bear being scandalized by the evil of this world any longer, Christ says, take heart, I have overcome the world. The same gathering and separating that Jesus will do on the last day, he already does. He sets his people apart. And how does he do it? What do all of these people have in common? Well, they trust in the cross of Christ. They trust in the forgiveness of sins. And that is what happens as we gather as God's people. We have that forgiveness applied directly to us. As sinful and fallen individuals, as people who endure the assaults of the evil one, as people who mourn the loss of those who we love, as people who are afflicted in every way, we don't seek comfort and relief from the promises of this world. But we see where it truly and ultimately stands. It stands with Jesus. As the world is unconcerned with sin, we clearly see what it's doing and how dangerous it is. And we simply want freedom from it. And that's what Jesus does. He frees our hearts our lives, our consciences from sin. He does this in no other way than bearing it. The hell that we deserve, the wrath that would be reserved for us on the last day, the judgment, the punishment, the torment, Christ places upon himself. He bears it. He suffers for it. Why? So you don't have to. God would not have us be eternally separated from him. That's not what God created you for. That is not what God formed Adam and Eve to be. That's not what God put you on this world to be. He did not create you for estrangement from him and suffering. We are not designed by God to be objects of wrath, but we are designed by God to be beloved sons and daughters. And so God saves sinners. For no other reason than love, Christ bears the cross. He suffers the wrath of the Father. He endures the penalty of all sins so that by faith in him, as that last day comes, it doesn't come upon us as a day of wrath. And so the Lord binds himself to us. As sin would bind us to the darkness, God makes us into his children. He makes us like Jesus he sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He forgives our sins. Just as Jesus is holy in every way, we're made holy for his sake. Just as Jesus is faithful to the will of his Father, God blesses us with faithfulness. Just as Jesus has been exalted to be seated at the right hand of the Father, we too will be lifted up from our humility and seated in the temple of God in heaven eternally. And so we cast off the darkness of this world and we dwell in the light of Christ. And that means we dwell in the gospel. We confess our sins. We let those be in the light. But also we let the light of Christ pervade. 
Our lives are lived in the mercy of God. That's what clothes you. That is your armor. It is the forgiveness of sins. It is your adoption as a child of God. That gift is a treasure. It is your hope. It is our life. It is our joy. As the day of judgment comes upon us, we have nothing to plead our cause except the blood of Jesus and his righteousness, and that is what you have. Guard that gift. The world that we live in is very evil. And so we must live in humility under the gospel of forgiveness. Just as St. Peter says, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Cast all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And be sober-minded. Be watchful. As your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brethren throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So be wise. Be wise in how you deal with this world. Don't mindlessly consume what the world sets before you. Don't leave your heart unguarded when dealing with this fallen world and what it promises. But live by the gospel of Christ. In Christ you have been called to so much more than what the world would offer you. So remain steadfast in the word of God. Or as St. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fill your life with the things of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is much better than be filled with the foolishness of this world. Sing hymns. Even if you can't sing, sing them loudly. Be obnoxious about it. Pray the Psalms. Read your Bible. Come to Bible class. Have devotion time. Gather for the divine service with the people of God. Fill your days with the good gifts of Jesus. And this, Jesus will be your armor. He will preserve us for the last day. Everything else, it will waste away. This world will burn and everything in it. But you won't. You won't burn with it. You will not waste away. As you are united with Christ, you are bound to what is imperishable. You are bound to something that will not burn, will not fade away, will not waste away. Just as Jesus is risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father to eternally reign over the heavens and the earth, you are now eternally his. And even though now we live in a world that is wasting away, what we have in Christ will never waste away. You have a new birth of water and the Spirit, and the life you now live, you live in Christ. St. Peter says it this way, According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so wait for the Lord. The last words of Psalm 27 are just this, wait for the Lord. Wait for him to come back. Wait for him to fulfill his promises. Wait for him to bring to completion every good thing he has introduced to you. And on that day, as he is our judge, he will also be our elder brother, who will bring us to an inheritance that is set aside for us in our Father's house. He's the firstborn from the dead who will rise, and we will follow him out of the tomb of this world into the heavenly banquets filled with the blessings of life. My friends in Christ, hold on to this treasure. Fill your days with the gifts of Jesus. And as you do so, he will make you ready for the last day. And it will be the best day of your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, guard our minds. Protect our hearts so that we do not fall into the dissipation of this world. Help us to be sober-minded and able to recognize sin and evil for what they are. And cause us by the grace of your Son to live as children of the light so that when the last day comes, we are not trapped in darkness, but called into the everlasting light of life. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.